Well, good morning, and I'm glad you're here this morning to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He is on his throne, and we are here in his very presence. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find them. If you don't have one, then maybe there's one around you. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, and I'll tell you where in just a moment. But today's a day of celebration. It's a day of celebration for a lot of reasons. Uh, One reason is that this is the Lord's day, and this is the day we remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's reason enough to celebrate, right? And so if you're ready to celebrate, would you just, would you just shout? I don't ask you to say amen a lot. I think uh, in the army it's hua, and that's what I heard from Gray, Colonel Gray Johnson. But if you are ready to celebrate, would you just say amen? amen. Oh, that sounded really good. I like a lot of those this morning. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to beg. So another way uh, uh, to celebrate is that today is across our network of churches, a day in which we celebrate new churches. Today, in particular, across the United States of America, churches like ours and our network of churches through our national network called North American Missions are celebrating new church starts, new church starts. There's a county just south of us, and you go through it probably, probably quite often, St. John's County, that has grown 40% and is expected to grow another 50,000 people in the next uh, several years. Can you imagine that? I don't have to tell you that. If you've been to St. Augustine lately, you know there are a lot of people there and a lot of people who have chosen not only to go there to visit, but to stay. And so we, uh, we put our sights on St. John's County and in particular an area close to Silverleaf where there are going to be thousands more people moving in. And today, for the very first time, we're having a worship service at Bassetti Middle School. Philip Skarnecchia is preaching that. And there are lots of our family members who have been sent out of here to help start that. They're having their, their first kind of kickoff service as they get ready for Easter. This is an in-house, not publicized service. But I want to celebrate the fact that we are starting a church. This is pure mission work in St. John's County. How about that, church? Thank you for your vision. And how did this happen? Just talking to Philip and saying, Philip, man, what are, what are you doing? I want to plant. Where do you want to plant? Man, I'd love to come home and plant. God's, God raised him here in Fleming Island. He got saved here at Hibernia Baptist Church, went off to seminary and served in church and said, I want to plant. So we brought him here to serve on staff until he was ready to be sent out. And so, man, we are celebrating and looking forward to hearing what's going to happen on Easter Sunday. Thank you for giving Frankly, we are uh, giving is why we can celebrate today, at least one reason, uh, because you are helping in that church plant. You're, you're supporting Aaron and Philip by making sure they have a salary and they have health benefits and have everything they need so they can focus on, on planting. So praise God for that. Not only um, is it a day of celebration, it's kind of a bittersweet day in the, uh, in the kind of the uh, starting things. Um, and And here's why. We have a a couple in our church, Jim and Sharon Taylor, who have been dear friends of ours, mine and Leslie's, and we love them. And they have been leading a ministry called Grief Share. Are y'all familiar with Grief Share? Such a tremendous ministry for people that are going through grief. And they have led the ministry for 10 years. Not only have they led the ministry, they've helped two other churches launch and start ministries. And so today will be their last day with us because they're moving to North Carolina. Not everybody can be in the will of God perfectly. 
but they really do believe that, um, that now that they're retired and they have property, that's where they're going. And here's what they want to do. They want to begin grief share in an area that does not have grief share to reach people for Jesus Christ. But what's cool is Patty, they, they've trained Patty to come on and she's leading grief share. And so we will see grief share not only grow, but expand. And so grateful for them as well. Some of you know Brian and Alyssa. Brian and Alyssa um, are a part of our church. And Brian has gone through our North American Mission Board church planting assessment too. This is all about church planting. And Brian and Alyssa believe that God's calling them to plant a church. And so we've said to them, why don't you come on staff with us for a little while until you're ready to go out. Today's their last Sunday because they're going to join a church plant in St. John's County as well. And, uh, and soon they'll be starting their uh, church. Soon they'll be starting their church, and we're going to be their sending church. And uh, so grateful, grateful for Brian Tabramina and his wife, Alyssa. They came on staff for the, the express purpose of, of growing, maturing, so they could be sent out. You know, it's been said that the success of a church ought not to be measured by seating capacity, but by sending capacity. And so we'll talk more about some of the missionaries that are being sent out, not only in our North American mission area right around us, but we have men and women that are being called out of this church to go overseas and spend their life for the gospel. And I'm just grateful for a church like this that has that, has that understanding that God's not called us to come and to soak, but to go and fulfill the Great Commission, and you're part of it. And I just want you to celebrate that today, and it's good to celebrate sometimes, right? And if you're new to our church today, if you're maybe a guest, it's your first time, or you've been here for a little while, let me invite you to dinner, uh, to lunch. In the South, we call it dinner sometimes, um, but it's actually lunch. And right after our second service, we're going to have lunch right next door. It's our foundations lunch, where we just simply give you an open house, uh, open door view of what we're about, what we believe where we're going, how we're structured, how we disciple, and you can just know more about us. And so my wife and I will host that right after our second service. All right, let's get into the sermon. Let's go. Philippians chapter four, y'all ready? We've been talking about how to think. And part of our goal as a church, as elders, as pastors, is to train you and help you to become victorious in your living to stand firm, as Paul says in Philippians 4. That's where we'll be this morning, Philippians 4. Paul begins that chapter by saying, I want you to stand firm. Now, we have a shaky world. It's unstable. But I want our church members to grow up with steady minds. We want our children, whether they come on Sundays or on Wednesday, and God bless all the little children that has been pouring into our church, either because they just recently have come or because, man, we have seen a boom in babies being born. Praise God. That's more in the second service that we have here, that we have those couples that are having the babies, right? Yeah, we're grandparents, most of us in here. But praise God for that because we want children to grow up to have a steady mind in just an absolutely, sometimes stunningly insane world. Paul said that to the Philippians. I want you in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. Imagine being able to say that. That's what Paul said. He didn't say that condescendingly. But he's telling the Philippians who lived in the first century, yeah, I know, it's not easy. People are wicked, and it's dark, it's corrupt, but I want you to stand firm. I want you to be victorious. Not only, now watch this, y'all, not only is it our heart's desire and prayer that you be victorious, 
but that we also train you to help those who are in this dark and corrupt culture in the 21st century come out of that darkness and into marvelous light. So on Monday mornings as I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, okay, Sunday's coming, right, Archie? Sunday's always coming. I'm thinking about what is it that I'm going to say? And it's not so much what is it that I'm going to say, really I'm whittling it down to what is it that I'm not going to say? Because I want so desperately to help us think true thoughts in the midst of lies. It's not too harsh a statement, is it? We live in a culture of of untruth, deception. And I want you to know the truth. I know at the same time, while I am whittling away at what I'm not going to say, I think the devil is whittling away at what should be said. He's whittling away the truth. And in order that we might not understand exactly what it is to stand firm in the faith. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, and if you don't mind, just look with me in verse 8. Paul said this. He said, you've got to think rightly. Think about truth. Think about truth. Think about what is true constantly. Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true. That's where he starts. Then he ends the verse by saying, think on these things. Now, I'll get to the verse in just a moment, but he starts with truth. And that's why today I'm going to begin with truth. I'm going to end with truth. I'm going to stay there on the truth. Truth is a very difficult treasure to harvest. You know, back in 1849, the nation got notified that there was gold in California. And people from the east of the United States of America were a little bit late in the charge to the west because there were, there were people from China and Singapore and all over the, the east that made their way to California to dig out gold. But we were very ingenious in the way we went about it. And after about a year of panning for gold, Americans began to realize that they could use water, hydroforce, to mine much more quickly and therefore find more gold, that, that precious commodity that was uh, worth so much money. And, and so men began to develop pumps and to begin to mine with, with their, their, their hydroforces and the problem that, that came with that, all that ingenuity, was that the, the water wasn't controlled real well, and all of the, the places, it seemed like, that where gold could be found were being undermined by, by forces. To try to find treasure, through a shortcut, treasure was being buried under mudslides. And that's where the term undermine comes from today. This is exactly what I want you to understand the devil would like to do for us. He'd like to make us think that finding truth is easy and that there's some shortcut. But that shortcut, not thinking through things, not having the right thought processes, only undermines the truth and buries what would be for us a treasure. Proverbs says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attended to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it, 
like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Thinking properly is not easy. There's no shortcut. The process of thinking about truth is one that is arduous, painstaking, and calls for a disciplined mind. So that's why Paul says this. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, look at this. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Where does anxiety start? Well, they begin in the mind, and they flow into the physical being. But don't do that. Don't be anxious about those things. Take them to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, there it is again. Paul is addressing the mind. We're in our understanding. In fact, there is something that will even go beyond our comprehension, and we can't even explain, and that's the peace of God. And it will guard, look at this, your hearts, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And how does that happen? Verse 8, by doing this, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Notice that he starts with truth. He starts with truth. In the same way Paul does in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has this famous discussion about spiritual warfare. He says, we're in a spiritual war. And if we're going to fight that spiritual war, Paul says, we have to stand firm. Stand firm. Again, there's that terminology. By taking hold of the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Question, folks. Do we live in an evil day? So to stand, we have to do all to stand firm. So here's the the effort. You have to make effort. Do all you can to stand firm. So there's effort on our part. How do we do it? Stand therefore, verse 14 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Now you have this armor of God that is explained in Ephesians 6, but notice where Paul starts. It's with the truth. If you don't have the truth, you can't fight. If you don't know what is true, you can't stand firm. And we live in a world where the truth is under assault, isn't it? Everyone has a right to their own truth. Uh, Reality is yours or it's mine, and yours is subjective, but mine's right, even if they're not the same. And at the same time, we're constantly trying to stand for what is true, even though around us there are those who are undermining it. We have to seek it after on a daily basis. Why? Because truth is under assault. You don't have to look any further than our Supreme Court justice proceedings. Just this past week, I don't have to tell you no, you know, you've heard that when, was, when Mrs. Jackson uh, Brown, was, Brown Jackson was asked, can you give us the definition of a woman? She answered, No. I was reading in a secular article. I was reading in a secular article. The secular article says a question a peasant in the medieval world could have correctly and straightforwardly answered is treated completely normal by the press. She said, Mrs. Brown, I am not a biologist. 
But as one of our church members said, why didn't someone follow up and ask the question, then you believe that sex is based on biology. But even biology is in question today, isn't it? It's not only biology that's in question about sex, it's morality. You have your system of morality, I have my system of morality, everyone's system of morality is whatever is right in their own eyes. And not to mention history. You would think that history would be something that would not be up for debate, but it is, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? If you've been to a movie or if you watched a movie, are you not enamored at how in movies today our major landmarks are pretty regularly destroyed? What is it about us that we like to see the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower come down or the Statue of Liberty or the White House blown up? I mean, why, why, why do, it's in movies and people pay money to see that, but we don't want to see that in reality. But why have movies done for us in our generation? Let's, let's face it, we are more movie watchers than book readers. Movies have undermined history, haven't they? They've changed history, changed the the course of history. And if you can control history, you can control the future or ethics. Truth is under attack. So we have to think, Christians, we have to think true thoughts. I mean, do you realize that you have about 10,000 thoughts a day? Probably already you've had 2,000 thoughts. You have 8,000 left to go. That's an amazing thought. As a matter of fact, if you think 10,000 thoughts a day, that's about three and a half million thoughts a year. You think three and a half million thoughts a year. So the next time someone says a penny for your thought, take them up on it. (laughs) If I were to say to you today, I want to give you $10,000 this morning and you have to spend it today, would you be careful how you spent that $10,000? but you have 10,000 thoughts. And your thoughts matter, my thoughts matter, because thoughts are indicators of what we will eventually do. The Apostle Paul is very clear. I want you to think properly because in verse 9, that's how you act. You act accordingly. The way you think is the way you act. Now, we know in the Bible we're told, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There's a lot behind that, a lot behind that, a lot lot behind that thought and the one who wrote it. But as we think we will do. And Paul said, I want you to think rightly because I want you to act rightly. How do we act rightly? By acting like Christ. If you have your Bibles, you're in Philippians. Are you in Philippians? Look in chapter 2. Already in chapter 2, Paul talks about having a same-mindedness, but it's a Christ-mindedness that he wants us to have. And he says this to the Philippian church in verse 5, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in whom? It's Jesus. I want you to think like Jesus. It's not just the thoughts that Paul's concerned about, but the process of that thinking. Um, Move over to chapter 3. Move over to chapter 3. You're in chapter 2, go to chapter 3. Look in verse 15. Let those, sorry, y'all, I didn't give this to the uh, team in the back, so it's not there. But uh, I like it when you bring your Bibles and you have to look down in your Bibles anyway. So look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, hold true to Christ. And this is the way in which I want you to do it. I want you to think a certain way. Verse 17 gives a little more light to that. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, pause for a moment, look right here. This epistle to the Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. How ironic it is that here Paul says, in the midst of all the joy, I'm brokenhearted. Why? Mark this, because there are those who walk as enemies of the cross. Could you imagine? It's another way of saying they're enemies of Christ. Why? Well, their end is the destruction Their God is their belly. They live by their appetite. Their glory is in their shame. Do you know anyone who's glorying in what ought to be shameful? The reason? Their minds are set on earthly things. We have to think right. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in the UK who's with the Lord now. He was a medical doctor. He wrote a treatise on spiritual depression. He said there's one reason that most Christians are depressed. If you read anything about depression, and I'm not an expert on it, I can tell you, but if you read anything about it, you can find that sometimes people are depressed because they've had a traumatic brain injury. Sometimes they're depressed because of a chemical imbalance. But most of the time, did you hear me say most of the time? Most of the time, depression is brought on, and this is not just me saying this, this is what secular counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists have said. Most of the time, depression and anxiety is brought on by sinful thought patterns. Medical doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a tremendous theologian and pastor, he made this statement. He believed that the number one reason, the number one reason for spiritual depression is the lack of understanding of the Scriptures. The truth. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three ways in which we ought to go about knowing the truth and doing what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And we're only going to focus again on, I told you this last week, the word truth, to think on what's true. And what Paul says when he says think is not just to have a thought of the truth, not just come every once in a while and mull over it, but to constantly be thinking about truth, which means you have to change your thought patterns. To begin with, you're going to have to guard your mind. Secondly, you're going to have to police your mind and Thirdly, you're going to have to renew your mind, all right? That's where we're going, all right? So number one, you have to guard your mind against lies. The Bible describes the mind that does not believe in God as hostile towards God. In chapter 8 of Romans, the Bible says, the mind that is set on the flesh is absolutely hostile towards God, angry or antagonistic towards God. I was reading a secular article uh, from The Guardian, and it was about atheists. And the question really got my attention was this, and it was the headline, why are atheists so angry? And then the article went on to say that oftentimes it is very even admitted by atheists that they're angry, and they're angry at the, quote, myth of God. 
But the Bible says that the unbelieving mind, the mind that's caught up in sinful, fleshly, and worldly, whether it's naturalistic or secular thought patterns, humanistic, however you want to term that, is one that's hostile against God and becomes antagonistic towards God, doesn't want to hear the truth from God. We want our own truth. We want our own truth. This happened in the garden when uh, the enemy knew how man would be tempted well. And that was when the enemy came and said, do you believe that God has said? Have you, you really believe God? You could be your own God. You don't have to have a God who's telling you what to do. And that anger is seen in Scripture, isn't it? I mean, think about Jonah. Jonah, who was angry about something that God did, sat down and pouted. Um, and that's what men do, by the way, when they get mad, they pout. That's what he did. He went out and he pouted. God, look what you did. You know what you should have done? Could you ever imagine someone telling God what he ought to have done? Yes, I can. And yes, I'm ashamed. And Jonah's angry at God because why? He saved unrighteous people. Think about that. Jonah's not the only one we see in the Bible that was angry at God. David was angry at God at one one occasion. Jonah was angry at what God did not do. David was angry at what God did do. You can read about it in 1 Chronicles 13. David's told to carry the Ark of the Covenant back home, and there's a particular way in which you carry the Ark of the Covenant. No one's to touch the Ark of the Covenant, but they didn't do it the way God said to do it because they didn't do it the way God said to do it. The Ark actually almost fell off the cart, and so Uzzah, a godly, seemingly godly man, reaches up and he grabs the, cart, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant to keep it from falling, and when he touches it, what happens to him? Do y'all know this story? Some of you never heard this story. He dies. David's mad. He's angry. God, why'd you do this? Well, in our own uh, minds, we have to guard ourselves from being angry at God by not knowing the truth. And there are many times where we would say, I'm angry, God, that you did not do. Or I'm angry that you did. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, Uh, Corinthians 4, it is the case that God has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing God, the gospel. Sometimes our minds are blinded and morally defiled, Jesus said in Mark 7. Our minds are fallen, and if our minds are so powerful, and they are powerful, more powerful than any supercomputer, we need to take note because Jesus said these powerful minds are defiled. Christians, we must guard we must guard our minds against unbelief, evil unbelief. Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest there be any evil unbelieving heart among you and you fall away from the living God. Lies destroy. We have to guard our minds against lies because lies first deceive, but they deceive in order to destroy. How many relationships have been destroyed because of lies? How many friendships? How many partnerships? How many marriages? You ever lost anything? I mean, you, you, you see a guy who's lost his remote, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> you ever had anything taken from you? You ever, you ever been, been stolen from? We, we have grown up in a society 
that, that lies to us and takes from us the truth and sometimes, in fact, steals it in order to destroy. And when we believe lies, it is so destructive. Today, if you listen to me and you say, yes, I think I ought to think thoughts of truth, and maybe one day I'll consider having more of a thought process towards truth. I'll make more effort towards that. But yeah, I'm, I'm good. I think I got life figured out. You ever heard of the Donner Party who was making their way to California? I've been reading a book called uh, The Dreams of El Dorado. The Donner Party were told that if they could take a shortcut through the Sierra Nevada mountains, and if they took that shortcut, they could get to California much quicker. In 1846, there was no roads to California. They took the shortcut, believed what was told them by a gentleman by the name of Hastings who said there's a cutoff, and I've named it for myself, called the Hastings Cutoff, if you'll just go that way. The problem was they were lied to. And when they took that shortcut, they discovered what we probably sometimes ourselves have discovered. Shortcuts aren't always shortcuts. They were hemmed in by the mountains. The weather came in on them, and they were running out of food. And you know the rest of the story. I won't get into it on a Sunday morning because some of you have Sunday lunch planned. Many of them died. It was destructive. Lies are that way. We tell ourselves lies, don't we? Right? Like, like I, I'm, I mean it when I tell my wife, I'll be home in a little bit. That's really subjective. Some of you ladies, you know, you too, you're like in your closet and you're like, I have nothing to wear. I'll start dieting tomorrow. It's like I run five miles a day. I go to the gym two hours a day. I only eat salad and lean protein. Man, how long have you been doing that? Starting tomorrow. <laughs> and then be careful about these lies that we tell ourselves because all the ideas and the imaginations we entertain in our minds become very much at home. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, the ideas and images of our minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Our thoughts are key indicators as to what we're going to do. Our ideas and our imaginations. Our ideas. Be careful to guard ourselves against false ideas. Our ideas today work against the truth. Sometimes our ideas are this. Well, it works. It works. Well, pastor, I, I know that the Bible says I ought not to leave my wife or this woman, but I know some people, I know some people who have entered into other marriages and it works for them. You deserve it. Go ahead. Everybody else is doing it. Hey, there aren't really any consequences, are there? Here's one. One time won't hurt. One time won't hurt. We entertain ideas that lodge into our hearts. They make themselves at home and they become then key indicators of what we're going to do Imaginations are that way as well. You know, ideas are great. We can't do anything without ideas. God gives us ideas. Ideas are not evil in and of themselves, but they are when they're wrapped up in lies and imaginations as well. And you know what? It's a short trip across the aisle from good imagination to evil imagination. Let me tell you something. Satan's a wonderful usher to get you to move. James says, by the way, temptation is not so much in the outward 
lure, but the inner lust. I'm not a big fisherman. Archie's a big fisherman. He loves to fish, and he could fish hours upon hours. And, but, but one night this past week, it was, it was almost dark, and we was doing some work, and I th- th- threw a lure out. I threw a lure out into the water, and immediately, first time I threw it out, I, I got a fish. And that's, that's the kind of fishing I'm talking about right there. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I want to do. I'll fish like that. And I had this thought. I had this thought. This is an ugly thing I just put on the end of this, uh, end of this line. I mean, it's really ugly. But there was a fish that said, I'm hungry. That, that, that's the way our flesh is. James puts it this way. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Do you see why it's so important that you fix it here? In your mind? That you don't entertain? I'm talking about guarding your mind. There are fences and filters that you need to put up. I put filters on my devices. I'm sure you have filters on yours. We don't watch movies unless they're filtered. We watch it through a filtering device, right? We, we don't want the language and all the other mess and nonsense that's in there. Some movies um, that are an hour and a half end up being about 15 minutes. We need to put filters around our minds. The, the fences around our minds. There's just some places I should not go or certainly some places I should seldom go. I mean, for us, Leslie and I, it's very dangerous for us to go to a bookstore because we're coming out with a lot of books. Sometimes people give me, but would you read this book, Pastor? I'm like, I have a stack of books that I'm trying to get to. I mean, it's dangerous going into Daily Donuts. I went there this morning. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, there's some places we should never go. There places where our minds can take us, places that are unhealthy. There are just some thoughts you can't entertain. You know, all the devil wants is one acre out of the 100-acre brain that you have. But he'll take it right in the middle so they can trace on the 99 acres that don't belong to him. One thought not submitted to Christ, unguarded, can create all types of terrible consequences. Think about the case studies that I have. I just read one case study. It could have been, it could have been, and I'm going to give you this case study. It could have been one that I've heard over and over again in person in my own experience. But, but why was the question, why did you cheat on your husband? And in the case study that I read, and again, it could have been a case study from experiences that I've had talking to people over the last several years, over the last 30 years of ministry, same way, same way, all different circumstances, same way, starts with a thought. Well, what do you mean? Why? I'm in a terrible marriage. I'm stuck in my marriage. You know, the devil would love to put a mind in your mind that you're, you're stuck wherever you are. I hear Christians say that, I'm stuck here. But the Bible teaches us that God's not stuck and that he is beginning a good work in you and he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, including your marriage. And there are people laying in bed at night just going, I'm stuck in this thing. And she began to believe the lie, I'm stuck in this marriage and I'm stuck with this guy who doesn't meet my needs, doesn't make me happy. And she began to think about what it would be like to be married to someone else. That's all, just a thought. No one knew. He didn't know. No one knew. What's dangerous about the fantasy? What's dangerous about the imagination? 
It didn't play out. The problem is thoughts are always indicators of what we will eventually do. And everyone who's ever gone down that path as a believer of sinning against their spouse would likely say, I never thought I would. Except, yeah, they did. This has been the expression of everyone I've ever talked to that's had an affair, who's broken a repentant and said, I wish I had never done what I've done. Whether it's the sin of adultery or the sin of greed or the sin of theft, it's, I didn't think I'd ever be in this place that I'm in. Why? You didn't guard your thoughts. You have to police your mind. You have to guard your thoughts. You have to police your mind. Secondly, uh, and I want to run to a passage. If you have your Bibles, look at this passage real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The Bible says we are men, we're regular people, all of us deal with the same thoughts and problems. Paul was dealing with some of the, uh, the very things that we deal with, with people being antagonistic toward him, they were slandering him, he didn't have any defense against them, you know, they, they lied about his reputation. And so Paul says, I'm like all you, but verse 4 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do you see that? Like we have to take every thought and arrest it. Martin Luther said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building nests in your hair. You can't keep the devil from suggesting thoughts. You can't keep your flesh from the inner lure all of the time. And you certainly can't keep the world from casting that lure out in front of you. However, you can arrest those thoughts. Someone in our church recently said that a snake got in their house. And they said, you know, the snake got in their house. Well, we got a big house, so we didn't worry about it. No, that's not what they said at all, right? That's why you're laughing. Like you do everything you can to find the snake because I don't care how big your house is, there's not enough room in your house for a snake. And there's not enough room in your brain for a thought that's not Christ-like, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Paul says there are strongholds and forts. Where are these strongholds and forts? These are, these are the forts. These are the strongholds. And we have this image in mind. We can put a fort in our mind. We know what this means. This means a fortress. This means that it is solidified. How is a thought now, imagination idea now solidified into a fort, into a stronghold? Because we entertain it and we leave it there. And those are arguments and speculations. The Bible says that LSB puts it this way. Speculations, I like that. Against God, they're assumptions opinions against God. And where are they found? Well, they're found in the ivory towers that become the cacophonies of wisdom, so-called worldly philosophies that actually one day will become the coffins of those who buy into those lies. Whether it comes from a PhD in, behind a lectern or some commonsensical gentleman on a bar stool, you can get fortresses of lies everywhere. And you have to address them. You have to arrest them. See, we have in our world a world full of lies, full of untruths. 
we can do several things. We, we can complain about it. We can complain about it. And, and there's a lot of that going on, frankly. Complaining about this administration, this culture that we live in, this worldly system. Complaining. But does that do any good? Complaining. Someone says, I'd complain, but what good does it do? That's not the reason not to complain. Look in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. It's amazing how in the first century, we're so close to the 21st century, vice versa. Look in verse 14 of chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. When I think about this verse, I think about, you remember the Muppets? The two old guys up in the, all they did, grumble and complain. I know church members in some churches like that. Like that's, they should be on the Muppets. Not any of you. Verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of what? A crooked and twisted generation. What was it like in Paul's day? Crooked, twisted minds. But by not complaining, you do what? You shine as lights in the world. I was in a, a meeting and I heard a guy preach. He, he made this statement. He said, you know, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were a lot of amens. One, I, I don't believe I can tell God what he has to apologize for. Number two, I hope that's not true. I find myself sometimes in that crowd. God, you, you got to do something. You got to. You remember the disciples? They'd gone through Samaria in Luke chapter 9. There, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So he wasn't really dealing with the people of Samaria, but the disciples didn't know that. And they rejected Jesus in Samaria. So the disciples asked this question Hey, Lord, you want to go ahead and just call down fire from heaven and just destroy them all? What does Jesus say? Uh, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We can complain. Right, we, can, we can look at this world, we complain. We can conform. And there's a lot of that going on. We hear the thoughts of the world. They say the Bible's too narrow. It's too antiquated. It's too archaic. How in the world can you believe such a book? I mean, have you read the Old Testament? I would say we need to read the Old Testament more. We would recognize the holiness of God and his standards. I mean, come on, the virgin birth, really? Some churches have said, well, you know, the virgin birth, how important is that? Or creation in six literal days? Come on. And you have what view of sexuality? So the church says, well, you know, our views on marriage have been this for so many years, but I know that society is changing and we need to change with the times. So we have a different idea as to marriages and civil unions. Are we, are we to begin to think like the world? We can complain, we can conform. Or we can do what Paul says. We can convince the world of the truth. We can curse the dark or we can conform to it. 
or we can tell the sinners the truth. We live in a broken world that's broken by sin, and we're all sinners. You've sinned. You've sinned. You've broken the very law of God. You've broken the heart of God, and you stand under his condemnation, and everyone says, well, thanks a lot for telling me that. People aren't going to hell because they're in a same-sex marriage. They're not going to hell because they have same-sex attractions. They act on that. They're not going to hell because they inject a needle in their arm and shoot up with heroin. They're not going to hell because they are an alcoholic. They're going to hell because they're a sinner in need of a Savior. This is what Paul says. We need to take all of these arguments against God, all of them, and we need to arrest them. You imagine that. Fit that picture in your mind and bring them to the obedience of Christ, which is basically to the gospel. To salvation. We do live in a weird world. Darles, uh, Dr. Charles Winnick, I started to say Darles, Dr. Charles Winnick was at University of uh, New York, studied more than 2,000 cultures that have existed in the world, and he found only 55 where femininity and masculinity were blurred. Of those 55, not one of those unisexual societies survived more than a few years. Are we going to be unique in America? Are we going to be one of the 56 that does survive more than a few years? A society can be no stronger than the vitality of its families, he says. It's true. But how do you attack, how do you address, and how do you arrest those thought patterns that are ungodly? Only one way. Only one way. The way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians is with the truth, the truth of the gospel, the same way that he does in Philippians 4. This is why our thought process has have to be true. And yet Paul says in verse 9 of chapter 4, so back in Philippians 4, Paul says, I want you to think what is true. Verse 9, what's true is what you've learned from me. What did Paul teach the Philippian church? Well, he taught them the scriptures. The only way to attack lies is with truth. And there's not just a truth out there, but there is the truth, and that's the Scriptures. That's why we have to know the Scriptures. We don't attack lies with philosophies. We don't attack lies with worldly measures and means. We attack lies with the truth. How did Jesus do it? Let's do it the way Jesus did it. Satan came with lies. Jesus attacked back with truth, arrested the thoughts with truth. It's the only way. It's the only way. We are fighting a battle for our mind. The enemy is coming with the big guns, supersonic bombs, and we ought not be shooting Nerf guns back at him. The Nerf guns of psychology and psychiatry. What we learned at a TED Talk or in a classroom. But Scripture. And by doing that, we convince others of the truth. And we need to convince others of the truth. There was a soldier that was told by his commanding officer, you stand at this road, you do not let anybody pass. But one after another, a car came by and said, but we live down this road. We have to get here. It's very important that we get to our homes. And the soldier let people by by their excuses. The commanding officer came back in this illustration and said, why did you let those cars go? And he said, because they all had good reasons for going. He said, son, the bridge is out. 
The soldier responded, no one came back to tell me. Do you know that Jesus has set us in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation as the soldier on the road that says, stop! The bridge is out! It doesn't matter how many people want to go in that direction. We are to convince by our own conviction others of the truth. We can complain, we can conform, or we can stand on conviction and convince them. Why? Because they need it. It doesn't matter if they're a secularist who says, well, I don't believe that there's a God, or a naturalist that says all things are just natural and we're here by chance, or it's the religionist. They're in, their, they're in their Islam, and they have a religion, or they're in their Roman Catholicism, and they have a religion, or they're in their Mormonism, and they have a religion. How are we going to convince people of the truth who are caught up in lies? One way. One way. By giving them the Scripture. Not our subjective thought. Not worldly measures, means... But God's Word, the message of God's Word. Let me, get, let me give you this last thing, and, it's, uh, and I'm going to close it here. Our, our minds need to be constantly renewed. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Because when we have bad thoughts, it's like spilled sugar. It doesn't matter how much you try to clean it up, you're going to find it three days later. So we have to constantly be, re, be renewing our minds and how fixing our minds on Christ. It's not only what we don't look at, guarding our minds, it's what we do look at. It's called target fixation. If you're ever a racer or a driver, you're told, don't just look where you don't want to go because that's eventually where you are going to go, but look to where you do want to go because that's where you'll end up. That's why the Bible says, put our aim on Jesus and love God with all your mind. To renew your mind is to put our mind on the truth, to put our mind on Christ, to do what Paul says in Philippians 3, to look to Christ, not to the past, not to our accomplishments, look to Christ. What do we do? We have to, have to constantly fix our mind on Christ, and then we have to love God with our mind. And love is, in the Bible, look, love is never something you just fall into. Like I fell in love. If you're going to Love God, it's not because you fall in love with God, it's because you choose to love God with your mind. Therefore, you are thrilled with your God in your mind. Augustine, I like it. I like Augustine. And I give you this illustration. I always give you Augustine illustrations because we probably most of us like to go around Augustine, St. Augustine, and around the beach. And one day he was at the beach, at the beach. There's a little boy with a little shell, with a hole in the shell, and he was dipping it in the water and the Augustine with a little boy said, little boy, what, what are you doing? And the little boy said, I'm putting the ocean in this hole. I'm putting the ocean in this hole. I'm filling a shell up with the ocean. And Augustine laughed, patted the little boy and walked away. And he said, isn't that the way we are with God? We come to church and we're putting God in our mind. But he's far more vast than our minds can, can conceive. So therefore, let's be thrilled with God because the depths of God have yet to be found. He is the, he is, he is the great adventure. 
fill your mind with God. The Bible says, delight yourself also in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. This has to be regular. You know why it has to be regular? Because I can tell you all the lust and temptations and evil thoughts and wicked ways and the lies, they look for more opportunity to come back. They don't leave and go away. That's why some of you today say, when I give them my anxiety to the Lord, but it seems like they just show back up. They're like an unwanted pest. Here they are again. You try to get rid of them, they show right back up. Here they are. Why is it that that happens? It happens because our minds are fallen and we have to constantly be renewing our minds. I already give you some, some steps. Here's some steps. All right, three steps and then we're done. Number one, know the truth. You can't fight lies with faulty weapons. Only the truth. Billy Graham in 1951 said, the Bible has been the anvil upon which the critics have worn out their hammers. Critics claim the Bible is full of forgery, fiction, and unfilled prophecy, but the findings of archaeology have corroborated rather than denied biblical data. Our faith, which is dependent on not human knowledge and scientific advancement, has nevertheless been presented a magnificent case of the bar of knowledge. Now listen to this. The Bible is the greatest document of the human race and remains a bulwark of national, personal, and spiritual freedom. You have to know the truth, and then you have to believe the truth. You aren't what you think you are, but you are what you think. There are a lot of ways today you can try to to address your faulty thinking, and sometimes they work for a time. Psychology offers ways. Pills offer ways. Sometimes people are shocked into sobriety. There have been people who have been alcoholics who have experienced some tragedy in their life and never drank again. It wasn't because they experienced Christ or the gospel. Be careful. Because there are ways to address your faulty thought systems that are not godly. There's only one way, and that is to know the truth and then to believe the truth. So it is to know the truth, to put yourself under the truth, to be under the teaching of the truth, to constantly be listening to the truth, and to constantly be comparing every other statement to the truth. You're going to hear lies. You're going to listen to music. You're going to see movies. You're going to listen to reasoning, and it's all going to be true. What do you do with that? And then live the truth. Live the truth. Here's one way to live the truth. It's constantly by speaking the truth to yourself. Ring Magazine put out an article. uh, They're covering a Golden Gloves championship bout where the one of the champions was 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 knocked out before the fight began. You know how? To psych himself up in the ring, he decided to hit himself. The first blow, he broke his jaw. The second blow, he broke his nose and knocked himself out. Was carried out on a stretcher before the but the opponent ever got in the ring. He says, it's crazy. It is crazy. You know what's almost as crazy? It's the way in which we undermine our own self by telling ourselves lies. David said in Psalm 42, I'm going to speak to my soul. Be quiet, my soul. Why don't you hope in God? This is why it's so important on the Lord's Day to be in the house of God. This is why every day it's important to be in the Word of God. It's why it's important to be in a Bible study group and to be around people of the truth, to be around healthy people who believe the truth and speak the truth, but also to speak the truth to yourself because we live in an age of lies.
Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I know that there is a real battle for the souls of those who are in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would help those who are lost to realize there is a battle going on. The enemy will barrage them even now with all types of thoughts, good, bad, and indifferent, to keep them from thinking deeply about the truth. But you're the spirit of truth. You've given us your word of truth. And Jesus is the truth. And today we stand underneath a God who cannot lie. Help, Lord, those who are lost, who have been blinded in their mind from the truth to open their eyes and see the truth and be saved. There are Christians who have began to believe lies again uh, about life and, and, Lord, to live duplicitly, to have double lives, to have double-mindedness. You told us if we're double-minded, we're unstable in all of our ways. May they repent. And may we give our minds over to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have an invitation.